Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. I think the theme for today's show might be with a little help from our friends, since we're going to uh, go to uh, numerous people that we've spoken to before, and um, I'm looking forward to that. In segment number two, we hope to speak to uh, Jerry Polikoff, who's been on this show numerous times, along with our uh, good friend James Israel, the publisher of the Comic Press News. We'll also be speaking to a local uh, activist from Davis, uh, Cheryl Qualset, who traveled to Crawford, Texas, to protest with um, Cindy Sheehan uh, some weeks back and also went to Washington, D.C. this past weekend. We'll be hearing from Cheryl and Jerry about what they saw in our nation's capital. All right, uh, we need to do a little bit of correction from last week's uh, program. I mispronounced the name of our very own chancellor here at UC Davis, and to make sure that I don't do that again, and to clarify the issue of this Dutch name, we go now to the chancellor's office and Merrill Stratton. Merrill, are you there? Yes, I am. Merrill, could you clarify for, for me and for all of us, once and for all, how we pronounce the chancellor's name? Doug, it's very simple. It's Larry. Larry. <laughs> and you know, I say that almost facetiously because some people think it's Lawrence. It's not Lawrence, it's Larry. All right, you totally got me. The, of course, the issue, people mispronounce it as, as Larry Vanderhoff, and that is not correct. That's correct. It's not correct. <laughs> How should we be saying it? Well, you know, he would even concede that he's not absolutely certain. But I think the most correct way is Vander Hoof. Vander Hoof. Hoof. Not Vander Hoof. Uh-huh. Not Vander Hoof. Vander Hoof. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting. He was presented an award about a year and a half ago for his leadership in bringing the Mandavi Center to this region. Yes. And in presenting it to him, uh, they developed a skit with performers that made <laughs> a lot out of spoofing how to pronounce his name, and they thought they were correcting it, but they were correcting it wrong. Well. They were saying, it's hoof, hoof as in roof. No, it's hoof as in roof. Hoof as in? Roof. Roof. I guess it's whether you come from the Midwest or not. I'm from the Midwest, so is he. We would say roof rather than roof. 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 Yes. Oh, this is, we're going from bad to worse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, Meryl, we will pronounce in the future, Chancellor Larry Vanderhoof. That works. That's correct. Well done. And we will encourage everyone to do likewise. Terrific. Well, Merrill, thank you for, for clarifying this. We consider this to be a public service announcement for the KDVS listenership. Thank you, Doug. I really appreciate that, and I'm so sure to see. Very good. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. All right, let us start the show now as, as we normally do with a, a look at this day in history, a look at a, a good quote and, and a joke. I think we'll start with a joke. 
I was reminded when uh, speaking uh, to, to Merrill Stratton over at the Chancellor's office just a second ago um, about a joke that used the word roof in it, which goes as follows. A man with a dog walks into a bar. The bar is owned and operated by a large Italian man. The man asks for a drink and says, Bartender, if you give me a drink, this dog will talk. The bartender looks at him and says, Hey, get out of here. What are you, crazy? He goes, No, no, seriously. You give me a drink, the dog will talk. Bartender looks at him, pours him a beer, slaps it down, and says, Okay, you have a beer after this, this dog, she better talk. Guy drinks his beer. Bartender looks at him expectantly. He goes, All right, watch. Fido, what's sandpaper feel like? The dog goes, Roof. Bartender looks at him. He goes, Wait a minute. Fido, What's that over your head? Dog looks at him and goes, Roof. By this point, the bartender is moving toward him. He goes, Now hold on, hold on. Fido, who's baseball's greatest hitter? The dog goes, Roof. Bartender grabs the dog, opens the back door, throws him into the alley, head over tails, grabs the guy, tosses him out. He goes crunching out into the alley. They slams the door behind him. He's out there in all the debris and the garbage out in the alley. The guy stands up. The dog stands up, shakes himself, looks at the guy and goes, I guess I should have said DiMaggio. Long way to go for that one, but I, I think it was worth it. All right. On this date in history, September 29th, in the year 48 BC, a Greek fleet of 370 triremes, savages, and scatters a much larger Persian fleet in the Battle of Salamis. This is the first major naval battle of recorded history. The victory turned the tide against the Persian king Xerxes' invasion of Greece. And on this date in 1939, Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union officially carve up occupied Poland at the beginning of World War II. The fascists took everything and everyone west of the Bug River, and the communists took everything east. On a happier note, in this day in 1988, Stacy Allison of Portland, Oregon, became the first American woman to reach the summit of Mount Everest. Our quote of the day comes from the legendary actor John Wayne, who once commented on Native Americans as follows, I don't feel we did wrong in taking this great country away from them. There were great numbers of people who needed new land, and the Indians were selfishly trying to keep it for themselves. Ladies and gentlemen, they named Orange County Airport after this man. All right, uh, one of our favorites in this program uh, comes, of course, from The Week magazine, their Good Week 4, Bad Week 4 section, and we, we have it in hand, so we might as well quote it again. According to The Week, last week was a good week for oblivion after a Russian man passed out drunk on train tracks and continued sleeping as a 140-ton cargo train roared just inches over his prone form. It was lucky he was so drunk, said the train's engineer, Vladimir Slobby. If he'd woken up from the noise and he would have lifted his head, that would have been the end of him. 
It was judged, uh, conversely, a bad week for marrying a prima donna after Guy Ritchie confessed that his wife, Madonna, kicks him out of bed virtually every night because of his loud snoring. We've got four houses, but in every one of them I end up sleeping in the cleaning cupboard or the corridors. Let's go back to good week four. It was judged a good week for foreskins after anti-circumcision activists convinced Minnesota officials to stop paying about $500,000 a year for circumcisions of baby boys born into poverty. We're looking for some ways to save money, said legislator Jim Abeler. You know, I didn't realize that anti-circumcision activists were out on the warpath, but apparently they are. And uh, last item, it was judged a bad week for amateurs after a British man leaped onto stage at a karaoke bar in Bulgaria and beat up two singers as they belted out Queen's We Are the Champions. The man told police he couldn't bear hearing the song sung so badly out of tune. All right, we like to do a statistic uh, to start the show. We've, we don't always do that, but we have one today. It's not exactly a statistic, but it's, I guess, a multiple-choice quiz we'll give you, dear listener. See if you can get this one right. This comes from uh, Marilyn Vos Savant's column of last week. What single country supplies the United States with the most oil? Your multiple choice is A, Saudi Arabia, B, Iraq, C, Kuwait, or D, Canada. Okay, which one do you think it is? Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Kuwait, or Canada? Surprisingly, at least for me, the answer is Canada. So we, uh, we, we owe a thanks to our neighbors in the Great White North for shipping us more oil than anyone else. You know, in our last week's program, Why It's Great to Be a Man, we omitted what was supposed to be our closer. You know, things why it's just great to be a guy. The one we should have ended with last week was The World is your urinal. And I think that might be a nice segue to uh, a counterbalance. We like to be fair on Radio Parallax. We like to balance that off from last week's show with an email sent by Jill. 15 pieces of advice to be passed on to your daughters. We don't want to do all of them, but I do want to excerpt. 15 pieces of advice to be passed on to your daughters. Remember, a sense of humor does not mean that you tell him jokes. It means that you laugh at his. Advice for your daughter? Go for the younger man. You might as well. They never mature anyway. <laughs> Things to tell your daughter? If they put a man on the moon, they should be able to put them all up there. Words of wisdom for your daughter. Sadly, all men are created equal. And our last and favorite, best way to get a man to do something is to suggest he is too old for it. I want to thank Mr. McMillan for his uh, musical accompaniments to our many statements. I think we would have liked to have had Helen Reddy's I Am Woman over the I Love Lucy theme, but uh, hey, everybody loves Lucy. All right, something we mentioned on last week's program uh, has not gone unnoticed by many others. The Sacramento Bee sounded off in an editorial on uh, what they called Representative Pombo's yard sale. 
Noting with Theodore Roosevelt's legacy on the block, the GOP is silent. I'm quoting from their editorial of last week. Here's a bizarre thought. If we don't drill in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, we have to sell off national parks to help balance the national budget. That grotesque notion has slithered full-grown from the dim recesses of Representative Richard Pombo's brain. The Tracy Republican is chairman of the House Resources Committee, the most important House committee on public land issues. The whirring sound you hear is Theodore Roosevelt, the founder of our national park system and national wildlife refuge system, and a Republican of a different sort, spinning in his grave. This, of course, comes on the heels of another B editorial about the issue that we brought to your attention last week, that, uh, that Pombo was trying to get rid of the Endangered Species Act. You know, it's hard to know where to begin with Representative Pombo. Uh, but to go back to the B, they note that his bill calls for selling off national parks, selling naming rights to visitor centers, education centers, museums, trails, trails, and amphitheaters, and selling $10 million in advertising in maps and guides and on all buses, shuttles, vans, trams, and ferries in our national parks. Yes, I think it's high time we opened up that oil drilling concession to, uh, you know, uh, Yosemite. You know, as, as comedian Will Durst is fond of saying, you just can't make this kind of stuff up. Now, we should note for the record that apparently a September 25th draft of the bill removed the National Park sell-off. But uh, the B notes the ideas out there and will probably rear its slimy head again. Pombo has shown he's willing to sacrifice our public lands rather than be a steward of them. And in a not unrelated story, we would like to note that Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, or CREW, has issued a report, which was noted by Chuck Neubauer in the Los Angeles Times and reported in the B, uh, calling for ethics probes for people they called the 13 most corrupt members of Congress. This included, of course, uh, Tom DeLay, uh, who was, we should note, indicted yesterday, but also uh, Senate Majority Leader Bill Frist and the aforementioned Representative Richard Pombo. Pombo uh, got his way on the list, apparently by paying his wife and brother $357,000 in campaign funds in the past four years. He also supported the wind power industry before the Department of Interior without disclosing that his parents receive hundreds of thousands of dollars in royalties from wind power turbines on their ranch. Brian Kennedy, a spokesman for Pombo, said, Each of the charges is baseless. He called Crew a Democratic attack group and all their charges should be taken with a grain of salt. I think we have to continue to talk a little bit about uh, the goings-on over at FEMA and uh, the hurricane, twin hurricane disasters that struck uh, the Gulf Coast. There was a wonderful cartoon from Scott Stannis from the Birmingham, Alabama News, which I wanted to describe. It shows a cityscape including the, uh, the Sears Tower with a sign that says, Welcome to Chicago. And the guy's leaning over talking to a cop saying, We're here from FEMA. We got here as fast as we could. We understand a cow started a fire? Oh, my. Yeah. Here's a, a picture from uh, the Associated Press showing the Lake Pontchartrain Causeway outside New Orleans, uh, attached to an article that noted that as far back as eight years ago, Congress ordered FEMA to develop a plan for evacuating New Orleans during a massive hurricane. But 
The money instead went to studying the Causeway Bridge that spans the city's Lake Pontchartrain, officials said. Yes, folks, Congress appropriated a half a million dollars to figure out how to evacuate people from New Orleans, and apparently all of the money went to a commission that studied future options for the 24-mile-long bridge over Lake Pontchartrain. The article quotes former Representative Billy Towson, Republican of Louisiana, who said, They never used it for the intended purpose. The whole intent was to give them resources so they could plan an evacuation of New Orleans. Towson said he could never find out where the money went. They gave it to the Causeway Commission? That's wacky, he said. Of course, it would appear there's blame to go around besides the feds. It notes that FEMA typically contracts its studies into private or government entities. And a spokesman for FEMA said that it appeared the money went through the Louisiana government. Apparently, state emergency and transportation officials could not recall it. Mark Smith, a spokesman for the Louisiana Office of Emergency Preparedness, said, quote, To the best of our knowledge, we can find no information on this. Unquote. And now, from the Truth is Stranger Than Fiction file, we would note that uh, Mike Brown, the, the former FEMA director, appeared um, before Congress yesterday looking rather unhappy at the grilling he was getting. Prior to this, our good friend Tom Burka, in his blog, Opinions You Should Have, had written the following. Mike Brown to take charge of congressional investigation of FEMA. Speaker of the House Dennis Hastert today appointed Michael Brown, the former director of FEMA, to direct the House's investigation into the failure of FEMA to function adequately when handling the recent disaster in New Orleans. We're very serious about really uncovering the problem with FEMA. That's why we've appointed Mike Brown, said Hastert. Who better to investigate FEMA than the former head of FEMA? Investigators under Brown's leadership were raring to go, quote, full speed ahead, unquote. Unfortunately, the investigation has been held up by the delay in getting critical office supplies to the investigators. Precious and crucial items which Mr. Brown said he would provide to the investigatory team, such as absolutely essential pallets of paper clips and 40 indispensable filing cabinets, have been mysteriously lost en route to Washington, and 300 bales of paper were accidentally delivered to Miami, according to Mr. Brown. I am working on getting these materials to the team, said Michael Brown. We should note that Tom noted in his blog that he'd written this before he discovered that FEMA has actually hired Michael Brown as a, quote, consultant, unquote, to, quote, evaluate its response to Hurricane Katrina, unquote. Tom notes, in fact, that Mike Brown has never been off FEMA's payroll. All right, we're about out of time for segment one. Uh, let's let's try and let's let's see if we can't um, go out with uh, two of our favorite contributors to the show: uh, Tom Tomorrow, Dan Perkins from This Modern World, and Gary Trudeau of Doonesbury. Uh, I don't know if you know, saw last week's column in Sacramento's News and Review of This Modern World. But uh, the scenario was as follows. A secret meeting in 1969. In panel number one, we see three long-haired hippies with a Jimi Hendrix poster behind them. They obviously are Karl Rove, Dick Cheney, and George Walker Bush. Cheney says, okay, dig this. Nobody knows we're really radical leftists. So here's my plan. We're all going to go deep underground in the Republican Party. Within three or four decades, we'll be in charge. 
and then we'll screw things up so badly that conservatism itself will be discredited for generations. We'll bring down the GOP from within. <laughs> to which the long-haired George Bush character says, far out, you guys start without me. I'll catch up in a few years. Panel three shows all three men as they look today, captioned 34 years later. Karl Rove says, invading Iraq in response to 9-11 is so self-evidently stupid, we'll drive people out of the Republican Party in droves. Cheney, soon our work here will be done. The strip closes with the public not reacting as expected. <laughs> Two guys at a bus stop are saying, war with Iraq? Why, that's as sensible as it is appropriate. Man two, I can't think of anything that might go wrong. The Bush character looks frustrated, going, what do I have to do to alienate these people? Go on television and bite the head off a bunny? And then declare my undying allegiance to Satan? What's it going to take? Last panel shows the same guys at the bus stop. You know, live bunnies really are an excellent source of nutrition. <laughs> the guy number two says, and Satan is widely misunderstood. And let's end with the Doonesbury strip of last week. Roland Burton Headley at a press conference. Mr. President, there really is no one to blame here but Providence, right? Bush. Well, that's right, Roland. But I'm not going to get in a blame game with God, even though his purpose this time was a little mysterious. I mean, no one. No one could have predicted the devastating impact Katrina would have on my approval ratings. Roland. And, and also the city of New Orleans, right? Bush. No, that we knew about. It was in National Geographic. Has anyone seen that issue of National Geographic last year? I understand they have a scenario painted in the magazine that is exactly what happened when Katrina hit in National Geographic last year. All right, you're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. This is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. Stay tuned for segment two. We're going to talk about the protests that took place in Washington, D.C. with local activist Cheryl Qualset and uh, our regular contributor, Jerry Polakoff. Stay tuned. The Mississippi Delta was shining like a national guitar. I am following the river down the highway through the cradle of the Civil War. I'm going to Graceland, Graceland, to Memphis, Tennessee. I'm going to Graceland. 